So today I'm talking about uh, the resurrection in marriage, living uh, really the Paschal mystery more broadly in your uh, in your relationship in your marriage. You know, the, uh, we're in the season of Easter, and we're reflecting on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, and that we have access to that power. Um, but I want to situate that within the whole uh, context of how uh, to receive that power of the resurrection. Well, well, first we have to know that it goes through the cross, so the Paschal mystery. So what is the Paschal mystery? Uh, I remember I had a, a test when I was in uh, one of my catechetics classes, and uh, I had to memorize like that definition. It had to be exact and precise, and I... I didn't get it exactly right one time, and I was corrected. You know, it has to be, it's the passion, death, resurrection, and glorious ascension. I didn't put glorious, I got knocked for that. But it's the passion, death, resurrection, and uh, a, a glorious ascension of the Lord. Now, of course, we know that um, the uh, this Paschal mystery of Jesus Christ, his movement from this life into resurrected life, it has its roots in the Old Testament, and uh, specifically in the story of Moses and the deliverance of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. It was the exodus, the Passover, the Paschal mystery of the Israelites uh, that Jesus was bringing to fulfillment and that we have access to uh, now today. So let's uh, just remember what it was in the Old Testament that happened. Uh, remember the Israelites were enslaved. They had been there for uh, many years, hundreds of years. Uh, and they were crying out to God. God sent them somebody to save them. He sent Moses. And Moses went to them he, uh, and through Moses God worked uh, many miracles, uh, these these works to begin to uh, conquer those gods that the Israelites were enslaved to, uh, and then finally he got to that that final miracle, um, that plague of the, the the destruction of the firstborn, and uh, that night in preparation, God warns the people, okay, to be saved from this, uh, you have to do these things. I want you to get a lamb. Want you to slaughter it, have this meal, put the blood on the doorposts of your house outside, so that the angel of death would know to pass over your house. He wouldn't stop at your house, uh, and you wouldn't experience this plague or the destruction of this God. You know that's that's what God was, the Lord God was doing, and so they they did this. They sacrificed this lamb, and and they were passed over. They were saved uh, and it made uh, finally at that pinnacle it made Pharaoh say okay well Israel, you Israelites you can do whatever you want go and follow your God and get out of here leave we don't want to have anything to do with you so they uh, so they leave and eventually they get to remember that uh, that part of uh, of their journey where they thought it was going to end or it, it seemed like uh, there was no hope they were brought up to the Red Sea uh, and 
but then eventually got opened up away and they passed through the Red Sea and went into the desert and into freedom and into new relationship with God. So there was uh, this meal that they had and then there's this movement from old way of living into new way of living through water. Uh, that's, that's important. It was uh, a passing through uh, death into new life. That's the Passover in the Old Testament. And like I said, Jesus fulfills this in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus, and it even talks about, Luke uh, talks about it at the Transfiguration, says that uh, when Jesus took the disciples up uh, that mountaintop and he was transfigured, his clothes became dazzling white. They also saw Moses and Elijah standing there uh, with him and they were speaking of his exodus, his exodus, his travel from this life into new life through his passion, death, resurrection, and glorious ascension. Uh, and the baptism of John, actually, uh, when Jesus began his public ministry, he went down into the waters along with everybody else who was uh, giving their lives over to God in this way. Uh, it was a way for him to anticipate what was to come, this passion and this movement from death into new life. And uh, that's all important for us to know. So we see that Jesus, uh, he came to uh, be the new Moses, to deliver the new Israelites from not just a physical slavery, but a slavery to sin and to Satan. Uh, he came to conquer all of those false gods that we hold within our hearts or that hold us bound. And he did it by means of this sacrifice of himself. So he now reveals himself as the Lamb of God, came to take away the sins of the world. He's slaughtered, and his blood allows us to uh, have the final death pass over us. We're passed over so that we can experience this new life in Christ. And, and he also is brought up to this, uh, this very end where it seems like there's no hope, like there's no way through. But then he trusts and he finds uh, this, this new path into resurrection and glorious ascension. This is the Paschal mystery, uh, just in, in quick terms. But there's some initial lessons, I think, that are, are we, we could easily apply to married couples uh, when we look at it just quickly in this way. So the, the Paschal mysteries, passion, death, resurrection, and glorious ascension of the Lord. And uh, I think what that can teach married couples is to not be afraid of sacrifice and suffering. Those times in your life or in your relationship when it's hard, when you feel like you have been brought up to a point to where you're, you just see obstacles and you think there's no way for us to move forward, uh, when there's uh, times when you think that you've given your all and you can't give any more, uh, all of the, you know, the conflict, the vulnerability, uh, those challenges, you don't have to be afraid of that. You can actually lean into it because if we find that God is leading us through that, then uh, he will lead us to new life and resurrection. At those sacrifices, the moments of service and hardship, they can, they can actually be means, uh, instruments of, um, 
of receiving new life. They can be life-giving moments. But when we embrace our cross, we can be led to the resurrection. That's really important, I think, for, for married couples, that they know that, that it's not all, um, all roses all the time. I try to tell couples that on engage encounters, you know, it's going to be hard. I tell all my engaged couples that as well. It's going to be hard. It's going to involve suffering. Uh, you know, the, the honeymoon, yeah, the, the, it will pass, but it's okay. It, it'll, the, the feelings can come again. Uh, as long as we stay faithful to the Lord uh, in trust and obedience to Him. Okay. But something I wanted to do to, to add to this image of the Paschal mystery is uh, some ancient Jewish wedding practices that I learned about. And I think they might still uh, do it too. So just think about what you did to prepare for your own wedding and your own marriage when you had your engagement, uh, when you first reached out to the, to the church and you started your preparation formally. Maybe you had to sit down and have conversations about um, you know, your, your plans and expectations or uh, even had to do paperwork. You had to clarify roles and responsibilities. Maybe you had a big party to, to get ready. Uh, a lot of times there's the rehearsal or rehearsal dinner afterwards. Uh, and then uh, maybe you had classes, there's a retreat, there's all these things that we do to prepare. In uh, ancient Jewish times, they also had things that they did, but it was very um, structured and formal. There was a process that you went through. And I just wanted to point out a couple of those uh, that I think are, are really interesting and tie into our, our topic for today. So one of them was the practice of uh, the, the covenant cup. So when a bride and groom, an engaged couple, they decided that they wanted to get married, they would uh, talk about the terms of their relationship, their, the terms of their covenant. Uh, and a covenant, by the way, is the exchange of uh, people. It was where you, you become mine, I become yours. It's a new relationship that's established in love, uh, usually, especially in the context of, of a wedding and marriage. And this is what they were doing. They, they would come together at some point in their preparation, probably sit down with both of their families, and, and they would come to an agreement about the terms of their relationship. And then as a sign of their sealing of that, they would have some wine. And, uh, and of course, wine is a sign of celebration and joy, but it wasn't just, you know, hey, let's party and let's get drunk so that we can have some fun. Wine symbolized something. It symbolized this union that we share one cup. We, sh we are sharing a life now. We're moving in that direction. We're moving in this shared relationship. Uh, which is uh, uh, so important. Uh, they would seal it with a, with a wine. Uh, and then, of course, later they would have this uh, other cup that they would, they would drink as a ratification of that uh, the covenant that was established between them when they would exchange vows and they would finally uh, become married. That's one thing. Another practice that uh, engaged couples would have is usually just for the, the bride, but today I think uh, more grooms are doing it too, is uh, called the mikvah. The mikvah. Uh, it's a, a ritual washing or immersion that the bride would do in preparation for her wedding day. 
she and in the mikvah or mikvahot in the plural that's what um, that, that was practiced a lot in ancient Jewish times by men in preparation for Sabbath or priests before they would uh, offer sacrifice in the temple they had to wash themselves ritualistically so that they could be prepared and uh, and then in the context of a wedding it was a way to for the bride to present herself ready uh, you know uh, clean, uh, purified, uh, totally focused on this new relationship, this new life that she's starting. So it was a movement from an old way of living into a new way of living. And that's, uh, that's really interesting. It's really important for us. So uh, what, I, what I see in that, and um, a lot of these ideas come from uh, Brant Petrie uh, in a book called, uh, I think it's uh, Jesus the Bridegroom. But he applies these ideas uh, to the relationship that God has with all of his people. So I don't know if you realize this, but God, in taking marriage to himself, uh, wanted to use it as a, a sign and symbol of his relationship with his people, that he, uh, he had wed them, he had wed us to himself. So in Isaiah 62, for example, this is the prophet telling us about this new relationship that God wants to have with his people. This is Isaiah 62. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Uh, this is uh, a truth of our faith that I don't think we really uh, talk a lot about. But it's so uh, important, so beautiful that we, we realize how deep of a relationship God wants to have with us and how marriage connects to that. And that all throughout salvation history, God was preparing this uh, and deepening this relationship with, uh, with his people in various ways. One, uh, of course, was through this co a covenant meal that he had with his people and through a mikvah that he had his bride pass through in order that she would be presented to him as a clean and unblemished and purified and totally focused on this new relationship with him. But we see in this cup uh, of the sealing of the agreement between uh, the two parties entering into marriage and this other practice of the mikvah, what God had already been doing in the Old Testament with the Israelites and what he did with John the Baptist, and what Jesus fulfilled in his own life in the Paschal Mystery. It was God preparing us, preparing his people into a deeper relationship with him. So we see it 
in the Passover meal. God has this covenant meal with his people, this sacrifice, this, uh, this new uh, communion that he shares with them. And then Jesus himself, he gave us uh, at the Last Supper the gift of the Eucharist. It's a meal where we sit down with him. And he's saying, this is uh, the terms of our relationship. This is what you must do. Keep this in, in remembrance of me. Always come back to this table, to the sacrifice again and again and again, so that we can be connected again and again and again. That our relationship can be deepened and uh, purified and focused. In the, in the mikvah, uh, in that washing that God did, we see that in the, the passing of the Israelites through the Red Sea. Uh, we see it in, uh, like I said, in John the Baptist. All of those people who were walking to him, uh, he was uh, preparing uh, and, uh, and helping them get closer to God in this way. I mean, uh, John the Baptist, he described himself as the friend of the bridegroom. Remember that? Jesus described himself as the bridegroom. Who is the bride? It's the church. And we have passed through our own mikvah, our own uh, pure, purifying washing in, uh, in the sacrament of baptism. So remember this too. In Ephesians 5, St. Paul talks about this. We usually kind of just uh, rush past it, but it's, uh, it's beautiful. It says... Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. St. Paul's talking about the relationship of Christ and his church and making the connection to marriage. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. You see all those connections that were made. Uh, when, when God wed himself to his people, he did it by means of the Paschal mystery in the Old Testament and in the New. He did it through this new covenant uh, meal. He did it through this washing that he has given us. So, what do we do with that? So that's the, the summary of, uh, of this relationship of the Paschal Mystery to marriage in general. But what can you do uh, as uh, married couples uh, to live out the Paschal Mystery in your own relationship? Well, I, I think the, the first couple things is to focus first on your, your own relationship with God. Make that first. So uh, it began when you were baptized, and it is deepened in the Eucharist. So something that you can do to really help your relationship uh, is well, to go to Mass a lot. Every Sunday, in fact, and Holy Day of Obligation. To do that yourself, but also to do that with uh, your spouse. Always to be around the Eucharist together. And then in baptism, once you began that relationship through baptism, 
uh, what is the way that we continue in that is by uh, by going to reconciliation, by going to confession often. Uh, you don't have to go every week, but maybe once a month. Go individually, go together. Uh, it's so, so important that you have this relationship with God, that you embrace the Paschal mystery in this way by this washing and by this uh, covenant meal so that you can become an instrument of the way God loves his people, which is how... Uh, how a husband should love his wife and how a wife should love uh, her husband. Now, uh, of course, these can be expanded, uh, these two categories, if we look at it that way, this uh, covenant meal and this washing. And, and we can have like derivative lessons that we take from this. So even more practically, how to live the Paschal mystery in your relationship well, one, not only go to Mass together and to share this supernatural covenant meal uh, with the Lord, but to, like Justin said earlier, uh, to keep dating your spouse. Sit down at table with them. Just the two of you. you know. uh, if you can get uh, the kids uh, some, you know, some child care like we had today. Uh, <laughs> Do that. Do whatever you can. So never stop dating each other. And to share this covenant relationship, this covenant meal in other contexts. To go out to a restaurant, to make a meal for each other, and just the two of you spend time together so that you can recommit to each other. And you can be uh, involved deeper into, com uh, you can grow deeper in communion with each other in, uh, in re relation and conversation and, uh, and in sharing your time and energy. Uh, celebrate together and remember your new life that you have formed. This is the other things that the, the Mass teaches us, that the Eucharist teaches us, this covenant meal. To rejoice at, uh, at those moments that, that you have cause to rejoice. The good things that have happened in your life, remember them often and, and step aside and reflect on them together and, uh, and thank God for them. The other thing, if we're going to try to live out this this washing uh, in the in the Paschal mystery, uh, not only to, of course, be baptized and then to go to confession, but to live the that same essence of confession in your day-to-day -day relationship. So always seek forgiveness. If you have done something wrong, ask forgiveness. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Don't ignore it or suppress it. Just be honest. Die to yourself. It might feel really uncomfortable, but we know that when we get up to that point to where it feels like there's no way forward, if we lean into it, then you'll arrive at new life on the other side. Die to yourself. Ask forgiveness. Serve your beloved. Don't let them outdo you in service. And be immersed in God, in His life, together, always. Be immersed in the Word. There's so many lessons that you can learn from the Paschal Mystery, but it really is all just summed up in Jesus on the cross. And in what He did at the Last Supper, when He washed the feet of His disciples. And so I wanted to close by, uh, by reading this. And... Uh, 
and imagining that as an image of uh, of the Paschal mystery, our own relationship with the Lord, and the relationship that we have with those that we love. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, and tied a towel around himself. And he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not know now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part in me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he is clean all over. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, You are not all clean. When he had washed their feet and taken his garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for saving us. Thank you for your Paschal mystery, for dying for us so that we could be set free from slavery to sin, Satan, and death. Thank you for rising from the dead so that we would have a way into eternal life. I pray, Lord, for all married couples pray that as we live uh, the mystery of, uh, of your passion, death, and resurrection, that we would all grow in our relationship with you and that we would love each other as you love the church, sacrificially, totally, fully, fruitfully. May we be instruments of your grace and may everyone who sees us, how we love each other, know you and grow in relationship with you. In your most holy name, amen. Amen. amen.